Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of WolvesBlog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. Uh, if your team's playing Wolves or you'd like to read anything about Wolves, you can head to WolvesBlog.com or go to Twitter forward slash WolvesBlog. Hi, I'm Jake, Newcastle fan, and you can get me on Twitter at jakejackman with two ends. Hi everyone, Joshy here, uh, Manchester United fan. You can find me on Twitter, various podcasts, and, and YouTube channels. Uh, my Twitter handle is docj underscore mufc. Awesome, thanks so much for joining me today, guys, and welcome back, Joshy, after a long absence and a move and a whole bunch of stuff. Pleasure talking to you, and I'm sure we'll get to the uh, Ole stuff soon. But I promised last week that we wouldn't talk about managers at the opening section, and I'm holding us to that. Uh, so we'll start off by talking about an actual football match. Um, I think West Ham-Chelsea was probably the the headline match for this weekend. Obviously, West Ham pushing up into that top four. Chelsea, I think, were top of the table coming into the weekend, if memory serves. West Ham end up winning 3-2 at home. I was just curious your guys' first thoughts on the match and if you think that this result more damages Chelsea's claim of, of being kind of the title contending team this year or boosts West Ham's credentials of maybe finally breaking into that top four. Well, I was heading to the, the Wolves-Liverpool game, so I kind of saw it in fragmented form. I watched some of the first half and then I saw bits of the second half in the pub uh, before. Um, yeah, I, I, think it was a, I think it was a fair enough result. Um, I think West Ham grew into the game more and more and in the second half kind of wrestled control of it. I think the XG had it that, that West Ham were, were worthy winners of the game. Um, so it's a massive result for them because they, if you look at their recent results, okay, they lost to Man City, which you probably expect, but they had that dropped points late on to Brighton and they lost to Wolves a couple of weeks ago. So if they'd lost that game to Chelsea, you're kind of thinking that's four games without a win. It's, you know, it's the, the momentum being lost, they've got Europe. So I think that's a massive result for David Moyes. Um, and it, it, you know, is a big boost for their credentials because they're going to be looking over their shoulder now, thinking, you know, Tottenham shaping up a bit. Man United probably they've got their act together with a couple of results, and the thing's probably going to turn for the better for them. So that they need to start picking up points. Um, and we, you know, we're talking about the race for the top four. But what we mean is the race for fourth place because those three teams at the top are going to be the top three. Um, I can't see it getting any worse for um, Chelsea, Man City, or Liverpool. Bad result for Chelsea because any defeat is is a bad defeat, you know, is a bad result for those those title chasing you know sides. We know that Man City and Liverpool can reel off ten wins in a row, no problem. Uh, there's still a question mark about Chelsea's longevity. Um, you know, they've been good for about a year now since Tuchel came in, haven't they? So 
you know, over two seasons, they've almost had one good full season, but they haven't been in this title race uh, for that long. So, you know, they're still got to, we're still going to work out whether they've got the legs to, to sort of stay in it and navigate all these different challenges. Um, they've got a deep squad. So the, the answers are, are in that, in that squad. Uh, now might be a good time to start bringing Lukaku back in and, and, and perhaps being a bit more conventional in what they do. I don't know. Um, but, you know, one result is, is a blip. And we've, we've seen from Man City losing to Palace and, um, you know, Liverpool um, dropped some points, haven't they? So, um, so um, you know, you, you can recover from these from these setbacks, but you, you can't afford to have too many of them. So what would be interesting is just seeing how Chelsea recover from the results and whether they just go on another long run or, or, or it becomes, a, you know, a problem for them. Because the problem is for them that if they... They do drop two or three results. They're very quickly going to find themselves five or six points behind, and that's a long way back against um, Liverpool and Manchester City. Yes, it was it was a good game. Uh, I enjoyed. It. I agree with a lot of what Thomas just said about the two teams. I think I don't think this is a, a disastrous result for Chelsea uh, in isolation. I think West Ham are a really good team. I think they're probably one of the few teams that could beat uh, those top three teams. Uh, on their day, or even even if they're not at completely at their best, we we saw they beat Liverpool a few weeks ago. So you know they've played two of the top three at home and won both of them. So yeah, I don't think it's the end of the world for Chelsea. I guess the disappointment for them will be the the way the goals went in. Um, you know the penalty that they conceded was a completely uh, self-destructive moment from, well, from Jorginho. It's a poor pass, and then Mendy he had a chance to. To retrieve the situation and didn't take it, so Mendy was was kind of at fault for two of the goals, and he didn't look that comfortable uh, throughout the game. So that was a little bit of a worry because I think Mendy's been really good for them up to now. But you know, I think every keeper's allowed a bad game, but it'll be interesting to see how he does bounce back because it seemed to shake his confidence a little bit in the match. And I'm not sure how much of the, you know, the the mistake of the first goal, you know, led to to the mistake of the third goal um, because he he was poorly positioned for it and you know any you know it was a complete fluke from Masuaku but I think any keeper uh, should be better set to, to deal with that uh, and yeah it was, it was quite poor poor from Mendy but yeah I think Chelsea have kind of been on a downwards curve for a while now um they obviously had the, the home matches against Burnley and Manchester United where they dropped points probably were the better team in both those games but um yeah dropping points at home I think is going to be a big worry than losing away to West Ham and even the performance against Watford during the week, Watford were the better team and, and should have got something out of the game. So, you know, there's a few matches now in succession where Chelsea have not looked as comfortable. Not sure why that is. I know they've had a few injuries. I think Kante missing is a big one. I think Kovacic, he's a really good player for them when he's fit. And and I don't, I think Loftus-Cheek played well, but I'm not sure if he's, you know, I think the things he did well sort of covered for the things he didn't do well. And I think defensively, they were a little bit unbalanced. And uh, yeah, West Ham, when they made their change at half time, took advantage of that. So it'd be interesting to see how Chelsea recover. I think they've got a, an OK, not easy. I think they're all quite tricky games uh, in isolation. So, you know, they really need, do need to go on a bit of a run. Um, but yeah, I, I think they will be in the top four. But for me, I just don't see them at the same level as City and Liverpool at the moment. Um, and West Ham, they've, they've got a great chance of finishing in the top four. Their main concern will be that Tottenham seem to pick up for Manchester United, obviously change manager, and, and Arsenal have been quite impressive as well. So I don't think it'll be easy for them to do it, but they're definitely in with a good chance. Yeah, when I, th- I, mean, when I think about Chelsea, you know, one of the they're they're clearly a good side, um, and that 
the match against West Ham, I think is probably not in character, right? You know, from what I've seen of them, they're really solid at the back. They've got they, they've got good shape, but I think they missed quite a few players, and, and a couple of them were mentioned just now. Um, so yeah, I just don't see them on the same level as Liverpool and City. I mean, it's not a massive gap at the top, obviously, at the moment, but Liverpool and City just have this knack of just not even like almost getting out of second gear and they'll put SWAT teams away. I mean, as a United fan, we've experienced that in recent weeks. Um, you know, neither of them really had to get out of it, get into top gear and we were spanked, you know, 5-0 and the loss against City, they were so comfortable. Um, you know, so those two sides, I think, are just ahead of, of Chelsea. Um where where well, Chelsea are a strange one, right? What I don't get about Chelsea, they they spent a lot of money on Lukaku, and he he sort of kicked off the season really well, and then he's not he's not really sort of picked up that form. He's clearly a quality striker, but he's just he doesn't he. It was a strange signing for me because I don't I didn't think he fit in with the kind of um, play that they that you saw from them when they were really good in last season. And also Tuchel's, Thomas Tuchel's team. So he's he's one that they need to kind of get firing if they really want to pull up, go on one of these really extend, extended winning runs. Because Werner is just not picked up that form. He's, he's, he's finishing is atrocious. Um, and the others around him are inconsistent in terms of that goal scoring um, quality. So they really need Romelu Lukaku to pick up. And if he doesn't, not only is that an expensive problem they've got there, it, it is something. It is an area where they're they're lacking. But I mean, I think these are like minor refinements in in the team because they're clearly one of the best in the country, ch- um, current sort of Champions League holders, and and you know they're a quality side. So it's not it's not like they're out of it, not by any stretch of the imagination. I just feel like Liverpool and City operate like a machine. You know, they're like well oiled. They know what they're doing. Anyone who comes in um, from the bench knows exactly what they're up to. And they've just got this knack, like Liverpool scoring yesterday in the 94th minute, I think it was. They just got this knack of picking up that that goal. And and similar, City just have, it's not even a knack for them. They just like sort of wear teams down with just with the quality they've got across. So that's so for me, they're the two sides that will be sort of battling it out for the title. Chelsea will be the closest to them. And then after that, I think it's it's up for grabs. Like I think, yeah, West Ham. I don't know if they've got the consistency through the whole season. Conte will get Tottenham going at some point. I'm hopeful United. We've got. We're going to talk about it in a bit, but decent run coming up. So hopefully we can start pushing for that. Um, I have to say I don't really rate Arsenal. I mean, we when we beat them the other night, they were awful, and I mean we made them look good for for, for in parts because we were so bad. But I just don't. I don't think they've got. They're just up and down. And, and Arteta will be gone sooner rather than later. But yeah, I think West Ham, they, they need to pick up that consistency and, and they'll be there. But I think um, that that top three, the, the top three, we kind of know who it's going to be, don't we? Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And in the table, that's reflected if you look at that uh, goal difference column. City 23, Liverpool 32, Chelsea 26. Next closest is West Ham at 9. And everybody else... Oh, United up to 1 now after today. Everybody else on negative. So uh, it's it's really starting to uh, show which which people are in which categories. And then at the negative side, Jake, unfortunately, you and Newcastle both with negative double digits. 
not ideal, although obviously managerial changes at both of those clubs. And a, a couple mentions of Lukaku. Obviously, he's been dealing with some injuries. I do agree that, you know, maybe a target man isn't how they succeeded last year or how Tuchel has traditionally. I think that was one of those things where you're just like, okay, but that's another super elite player that'll help them get there. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how he embeds in yeah, but I, back in pit. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't see him as a target man, though, right? Even when he was at United, I thought that was always a bit of a misnomer with him. He's not really a target man. True. Because he did a size. bit more at Inter, where he just head the ball down to Lotaro, who was over, always overlapping. But there is much more to his game than that. I definitely agree. Yeah, but it's because of his size. I just don't think you, he, he wasn't good enough to be a target man. His touch and hold up play, it was decent, but it's not like that. You're not talking about, you know, when you think about the, like, you know, Didier Drogba, you, could, you couldn't get the ball off. He's always the natural comparison for no reason at all, actually. Uh, they're not very similar. He's more, I think, Lukaku's strengths when he's playing in the channels, using his pace, playing on that kind of turn in the box. You know, that's kind of where he really comes live. But if he's, at, you know, outside the box, playing as his target man, linking up play, it's not really a strength. Um, but even then, I, I just don't see his, where he fits in this Chelsea team in terms of, you know, for a hundred million, you're not, Oh, how, he cost 100 million, right? You're not you're not really looking for an op, a, a different option. He should be your starting striker, banging in goals, and that's what didn't quite sort of match up for me. Gotcha. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, next, I wanted to head into a conversation about the upcoming fixtures. We've already touched on some of them for some of these clubs we were just talking about, but based on things like form and fixtures and squad health and stuff like that, which clubs do you think will have the most successful runs during this congested winter period? And who do you think is kind of lined up to struggle here over the coming stretch? Well, I, I was looking at the fixtures um, just actually and um, looking at Manchester City and Liverpool in particular. Um, because if you're talking about who's going to have the most successful run, you would think who's going to be the most successful uh, successful and best teams. And I think they, that's who it is. And quite interesting, they've got very similar fixtures. There's, and on the flip side of that, there's teams who have got like a December of doom because they've got to play them both. And I think Wolves, Newcastle, Leicester and Leeds are the four teams who've got to play both Man City and Liverpool this month, um, amongst other difficult fixtures. So, so I think those those four teams are, are, are probably likely to drop some points. Um, and it will just be interesting to see by comparison because they're reasonable fixtures. It seems to happen quite a lot, actually, this season that people have Liverpool and Man City back-to-back. I don't know whether that's an intentional thing with the, how the fixtures are worked out or it is completely random, but um, it seems to come up all the time. People have this nightmare double header. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... I, I would expect on paper those teams to almost come through with a perfect record. It probably won't work out that way because, you know, in a, in a run of games so close together, normally some some points are surrendered um, around this time of the year. So hopefully as a Wolves fan, we can we didn't cash in against Liverpool, but maybe we can do, do something at uh, Man City with their Champions League game in the week as well. So that that congestion might might pose a problem for them. Um, and they're certainly moaning about it, the teams and the managers at the top, even though it's the same for, for most teams. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think um, I would expect Liverpool and Man City to have good festive runs because I think their, their fixtures are favourable against the sort of middling to, to bottom teams. Um, so, so I think they'll probably be the ones who, unfortunately, uh, again, get the best results. Yeah, I think... New, Newcastle, we've got some terrible fixtures this month, and uh, Leeds as well. Um, if, again, I've got terrible fixtures, so 
I guess they're two teams that might struggle, but I, I often think it's quite good to play the bigger teams around Christmas. I think that's that's might might even be the best time to play them. There's always a couple of shock results. Uh, I'm sure a team outside of the top six will beat will beat Liverpool and Man City during the uh, during the Christmas period. I'm not sure who it will be, but uh, it normally does happen, and it wouldn't surprise me. So, you know, strange. But in, in that regard, I think it's quite a good time to to play them and just get the fixture out of the way while there there might be some tiredness and some rotation and, and injuries. Um, so yeah, it, it, those two teams jump out to me as having tough fixtures. Um, Everton have got got some tough fixtures, um, but aside from Man City, Liverpool, um, I think Man United have got really good fixtures. You know, Norwich, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley coming up. They're, they're all games that they'd expect to win. <laughs> In fact, Man United they They've only really got to play West Ham up until um, the start of March, where they play Man City. So they've got a really good, long, sustained run of fixtures. So you, you might think that they could go on a run and maybe push into the top four over that period. I think Watford as well. They've uh, low-key got some good fixtures. Brentford, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Wolves, West Ham, uh, Tottenham. So not the worst run, uh, and they'll be looking to, to get some points out of that. So, yeah, um, it's difficult to call, you know, um, everybody plays everybody twice, <laughs> but for me, I think the the festive period is probably maybe a good time to play some of the tougher teams. Uh, and I'm, I think wasn't it a couple of years ago, Fulham beat Liverpool around this time. Um, I know last year we we drew to Liverpool. I think maybe on the the weekend before Christmas. So yeah, it does happen. Um, and yeah, I'm sure that there'll be a few shock results. Yeah, I was looking at the United fixtures. Really massive opportunity for Ralph Ragnick. To be honest, I think. You know, we've picked up the win today um, <clears throat> against Palace at home, beat Arsenal um, the other day. And then, you know, we've really, not only is it a decent run of fixtures, it's not as congested as some of the others because we're, you know, we've got young boys in the Champions League, but we're top of the group anyway. So we can probably rotate a little bit, rest some players. And we don't have any Carabao Cup fixtures because we got knocked out of that. So this is a decent opportunity to pull some a decent run together but the one team I was looking at that I thought were probably it's interesting that this next group of fixtures will likely shape the remainder of the season is is Leicester I don't think they've been at it as much as we Mm. would expect from them this year and then they've got uh, I mean they lost today right they lost against Villa Um, and then they've got Napoli in Europa League it's a tough match and then they've got a fairly congested period where they play, I think, around I think six matches in 17 days um, around Christmas. And that includes Tottenham, who are looking all right. Everton, who, OK, they're not looking great, but they, they're generally a tricky side. And, and you'd think they'll pull, Rafa will sort them out soon. But then Liverpool, City, and then Liverpool again, because they've got Carabao Cup fixtures. There's a lot of intense matches. So there's there's... That they're they could you could see them drop f- further down the table, um, in, because in this period they're gonna, they don't have a massive squad, um, so 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 they're 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 a team that I'd be looking at and, and thinking they may have some issues, um, but aside from that I think I'm not much to add from what's already been said I think, you know yeah nobody go rarely do teams go through these periods and pick up like maximum points right it's there because of the intensity and the rotation and things like that you get um 
you do get some some um let's say shock results and things like that so yeah it, it it's always fun isn't it so hmm. hopefully we, we hope, well obviously as a united fan i'm hoping we take advantage of what looks like a pretty decent uh run of matches um but yeah no we're looking forward to it yeah, I think the lesser call, it's a good one, not just because they obviously have those difficult fixtures that you mentioned, but also they have been bitten very horribly by the injury bug the last two or three years. So with that, then a squad, if they suffered that kind of thing again, that could cause an even more damaging impact to their side, not just during this period, but for the rest of the year. Um, we'll go from there to talking a bit more about our teams individually. So uh, I was watching Tottenham's match today, and I was reminiscing on the fact that We've already scored two or three like vintage Conte goals, and it's really interesting seeing Tottenham be the one scoring them, but they're the same patterns of play that he's used at other clubs, and now it's just us trying to fold into them, try to repeat them with more and more efficacy the, the further we go into his tenure. But it just made me question if people at home know exactly how your guys' clubs kind of build up play, either from the back or, or throughout the rest of the pitch. So yeah, just was kind of curious. How do you guys build up play? Well, for Wolves, um, I think certainly this season, there's been a keen determination to play out from the back. Um, we brought in Jose Sarr, who's a goalkeeper who's comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, you know, it, you know, complete contrast to Rui Patricio, who liked to stay on his line and, and not get involved with anything unless a shot came near him. Um, so I think that that signing was you know, symbolic of the way that Bruno Large wanted to develop Wolves' play. Um, and obviously we have Conor Cody playing at the back, who's basically a midfielder protected by two defenders. So when you've got that, it you, you gives you a good platform to play out. Um, doesn't always work out that way. Um, as you know, unfortunately against Liverpool, their press was just impossible to get through for our players yesterday. We weren't technically good enough um, to get out, so we, we did resort to kind of playing it side to side a bit and then looking for those balls down the channel, trying to get it into Traore or Jimenez's chest and, and, and go from there. And I think you've got to have that in your in your locker. If, you, if you're determined to play out, that's fine. You know, you've got a pattern of play, but I think you've got to have more variety. And I think that's what Wolves and a lot of other teams have got to improve on because I think most teams now play with the intention to, to play out from the back. But when they're pressed, you know, it can go out the window a bit and you end up with this weird sort of, trying to get out but can't really do it and then you sort of half play and half chipping balls forward and there's no real cohesion to what you're to what you're doing um and you know watching liverpool yesterday they're like a rolls royce the, the, the way they move around the pitch as a unit in and out of possession they're so comfortable in every over the pitch obviously it helps if you've got 11 brilliant players which they did i mean they had their bang best 11 out on the pitch yesterday so that was something to see um and the way they moved the ball but yeah, I think I think it's um, you've, got, you've got to modify what you do. I mean, I saw Arsenal go to Anfield a few weeks ago and they were just determined to play out from the back. And in the second half, they just kept giving the ball away, kept giving away goals. And there didn't seem to be a plan B um, to, to, to try anything different, which which is the Achilles heel of, of most teams, I think. If plan A doesn't go right, there's not a lot else there. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, for Wolves, like I say, they, they want to play out from the back. I think we, we Bruno Large has talked more about playing inside than outside because I think Nuno was always about width with the wing backs and then two mm -hmm. wide forwards. Um, but, you know, like I say, Bruno Large has been talking about Adama Traore, for instance, saying that he needs to learn to play inside more. And I kind of get what he's saying because I think, you know, with a player like him, for instance, if you're always just trying to shovel the ball out wide to him, he can only really go down the line and put a cross in. 
Whereas he needs he, to become a better player, he needs to be able to get into those positions inside where his pace can hurt teams. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been interesting. The Wolves have generally been better on the eye. We weren't very good yesterday, and we haven't been very good in a couple of the games, but the football has improved. We have tried to play centrally and, and pass the ball and rotate, which we should be able to do with the likes of Neves and Matinho, uh, Trincao, Jimenez, you know, intelligent, good footballers like that. We should be able to create good patterns. So, um, so yeah, it's improved for Wolves this season. And um, I, I like how we're playing at home. Um, it's a different kettle of fish when you're playing one of the top teams, but certainly the games against Newcastle, Everton, um, I can't remember who else it was, the other win we got, but we, we played good for West Ham. That was the one we, we played. We played them off the pitch for good periods of those games with, with some good football. So hopefully that will, you know, continue and develop as the season goes on. Yes, Newcastle are still early for Eddie Howe to make any sweeping statements about his style. Uh, when he came in, he said he, you know, he wants the team to play a style that that he would want to go and watch himself. So it's definitely going to be a move away from what we had under Benitez and Bruce. Um, but he's starting from such a low base in, in having a squad of players that are so used to camping behind the ball and just trying to to give the ball to say Maximan, Elmeron, and Wilson to to counter-attack with, that there's still some elements of that in our game. Um, we definitely saw it against Arsenal a few weeks ago. We were just defending so deep and it was it was reminiscent of the, the Bruce and Benitez days. So he, he's, he's so, you could see improvements, um, but it's, it's going to be a slow process um, and, and I'm, it's going to take a good, you know, we're probably not going to see an Eddie Howe Newcastle United until next season. And, uh, you know, I don't know what division that's going to be in now. Um, the, the, for the last two games against Norwich and um, Burnley, I, you know, there was a lot of improvements against Brentford in his first game. You could see they wanted to play out from the back. Fabian Shaw came in, Shelby was back in, and they're two, you know, they, they both have their, their drawbacks as players, but they're both very good with the ball at their feet and picking passes. Um, so I think he's trying to get them more in, involved playing out from the back, but... In the last two games, it's been about trying to get points and you have to be a little bit pragmatic when you do that. There's been a lot of balls into the channels for Wilson to chase. I don't think there's anybody better in the Premier League at running in, running those channels and managing to win, uh, whether that be the possession and to, to continue an attack or to win a throw-in, a corner, a free kick. I don't, I don't think there's a better striker at doing that. Um, and we've been utilising that quite a lot. Um, and I think that's going to be something we'll see continue. With, with Shelby as well, he's got such a good passing range that he can stick a ball into the channel with the perfect, you know, speed and and height to it that that it does cause problems. So I, I do think we are trying to play out from the back a bit more. I think it, yesterday we saw Lascelles and Char get get on the ball a lot more, but they're still it's not a slick operation yet, and you can see that there will be mistakes made while they do it. So I think he's trying to do a little bit of that, but also getting the ball forward quickly when the opportunity arises and yeah, it was successful yesterday. Um, I guess the challenge is going to be how it's going to be over the next month when we're playing against, you know, we've got Leicester next week. <laughs> and then we've got Liverpool, Man City, Manchester United. The, the challenge is to to not be as, as backward thinking as we were under the two previous managers. We need to try and defend solidly, but also have a little bit more of a of a tactic of trying to score goals rather than just relying on a couple of players to, to do magical things. So hopefully we'll see that. Um, and yeah, it'll be a big test for Eddie Howard, and we'll learn a lot about how he wants us to play uh, over the the rest of the season, and especially in those big games. 
And uh, I think the thing about Howe is that when he was at Bournemouth, his record against the top team is actually quite good. I think his, uh, his expected goals for and against is actually better than it was against the rest of the teams. So I'm hoping we'll see a little bit more pragmatism and, and some interesting ideas in those top games and, and, and that we'll be able to get some points out of it. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does approach those. But I'm sure he has a plan for it and uh, it'll be interesting to see whether it works or not. Yeah, similar situation at United where, you know, we've got Ralph Rangnick as as the manager. He, today was his first proper game in charge. He's been manager officially for a few, for a few days. So, you know, we're not going to see his full sort of style of play um, for a while yet. Um, but actually, a lot of, you could see a lot of differences from the way we played today versus other matches. I think we had a lot better control. We played higher up the pitch, um, a little bit more coordinated in the press, putting pressure on, on Palace at the back. Um, lacking a little bit up top, which is interesting. Um, it's maybe something we didn't quite have an issue with up till now. But yeah, no, I think we'll, we'll, it'll take time for him to settle in. I think he's got a lot to work with. Um, you know, what I had, what, actually one thing I did notice, even in the last few games is, is Fred plays a bit higher up. So he's, he's winning the ball in really good positions to then initiate attacks and transitioning quite quickly, which we did well under Ollie, to be fair, um, other than this season. But up until this season, we were very good, very uh, on that transition, quick on the counter. Um, once we won the ball, you know, we were very fast to get the ball forward. This was when we were playing at our best and, and, and really taking advantage of the, the, the players we had going forward. Um, something happened this year, we just sort of unraveled and, and, and um, you know, Ollie had to go. And we'll see. I think Ralph, from what I've seen, you know, I don't, it's not, I'm not going to pretend and, 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 and say I've watched all his teams and, and watched everything that he's ever done, uh, you know, but from what I've read and, and the interviews that he's had, he, he likes that, he likes control, he, he believes in that control of the ball. And or control of the football um, of the match, whether you're in possession of the ball or not. So you know how are you controlling the, the the game even when you don't have possession? That means everyone needs to know what they need to be doing. You need to have a good structure, and this is kind of what we've been missing. I think Oli is as great as he was, man management and, and and that cultural reset and and sort of motivational side of things. You know that that genuine eye for detail. The systems kind of coaching, he just wasn't he wasn't up to it. So this is a real departure. So it'll be interesting to see see how we get on. I think um, there's certainly a lot of talent in the squad. So I'm looking forward to seeing them really coached properly. You know, Rangnick likes to um, develop young players and, and bring them through. He likes to um, you know get play at pace, um, and he likes to obviously. Win football matches, so hopefully we'll see we'll see that come through. And, and like I said earlier, we've got a good opportunity in terms of the run of fixtures we've got for him to bed in and, and pick up those results, so that you know build some momentum until we sort of hit February March time when we have a much tougher run of fixtures. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this style. It's high press, high energy um, play, um, uh, football, and then I think Jaden Sancho will will really will flourish. Um, Hopefully Rashford will 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 um, also sort of flourish under him as well. So yeah, no, looking forward to it. lots of good young players and and 
to, to learn from him. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be able to say or exactly how we play out, uh, build up play, because it's still early days yet. Gotcha. Well, really insightful stuff from all of you. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with more club-specific questions for each of you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Thomas, we'll start off with you. Uh, We've already kind of referenced the result yesterday. Obviously, uh, really disappointing to see a goal go in that late. But I was wondering if from a Wolves perspective, if it's more encouraging that you were in the game until that last stroke or if that was a really kind of damaging emotional moment there conceding that late goal. It was definitely a damaging emotional moment. I got, <laughs> sat right behind it as well, really. And you could just see um, when Origi got the ball, he just got on a half turn. And I literally said goal the second before it left his foot. Because you could just see that little crack. He could just get the ball through through the goalie. Um, yeah, difficult, very difficult. But, the, you know, the, it felt like a goal was coming from the very start of the game. And we just, it was what we, we somehow just kept holding on and just kept riding riding a bit of luck, but also defending a lot of courage and we were well organised. Um, we just got a bit of luck when we needed it and just just thought we, we, we'd done enough to, to get a point. Um, I think in the game in general, it, it didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. Wolves already went into the game with statistically one of the best defences in the Premier League. Um, we, we've got one of the worst goal-scoring records. I think there's only literally Norwich... And and maybe one of the club, I think, have got as few goals as Wolves. So we don't score many, but we don't concede many. Um, but obviously Liverpool average over three goals a game. So it, it seemed like maybe we would be able to get their goal scoring record down a bit, maybe just concede two. Um, but it, it always seemed like it was going to be a defeat just because we don't we don't have the firepower to, to compete. Um, so I think the tactic of kind of really sitting back and just trying to lean on that defensive resilience as much as possible was probably the right was probably the right call from Bruno Lodge. Um Liverpool and, and uh, Klopp made comments about the fact, you know, oh, we thought they were a footballing team and all they did was defend. The simple fact is there's just a massive chasm in, in quality. I mean, they're, they're, 
I've mentioned it earlier in the in the you know our chat that 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 was for me the best eleven they can possibly put out, and they've had that team the last couple of games, and they steamroll the teams. You know they've won by they've scored four goals in each of their last three Premier League games. I think coming into this one, um, you know they are ridiculously good. Um, so so the fact that we push them all the way, I think we have to take a lot of heart from that. Um, and, and believe actually we're onto something pretty good in the terms of how we're set up defensively and how well we're organised and we're playing decent football when we're not playing one of these mega teams. Um, what we need to do more is obviously find ways to score more goals, um, and and that that will probably come with with fresh personnel hopefully in the new year. I think there's some there's some players who may leave. And hopefully one or two to come back, including Pedro Neto, who's been out for a long time. And I think he would sit very well in this Bruno Large setup. If we could get uh, Wang, uh, Raul Jimenez and Pedro Neto in the team as an attacking trio with Daniel Pedence in there as well, I think we'd be well positioned to score some goals. And we need a central midfielder who, as well who can, who can sort of push on more from those positions. Um, I think that would, would help us. But, but definitely... You know, going back to yesterday's game specifically, disappointing. But I think we we, we should extract the positives that we pushed their best eleven to the to the limit for them to get that result. You mentioned some of the attacking players there, and that they haven't been paired. Do, do you think that's the main reason why you failed to score in four of the last five matches? Because while the general tenor of what's going on at Wolves is pretty positive, it's a, a pretty surprising statistic. Yeah, I mean, we haven't we just we haven't scored goals for a long time. We've never been a free scoring team. Um, we didn't score hardly any last season. A lot of that was obviously down to the fact that Raul Jimenez was was out, but also we sold Thiago Jota to, to Liverpool and we sold Matt Doherty to Tottenham, which might not sound much, but Doherty was getting five or six goals and six or seven assists a season. So he was an important attacking player. And then we brought Nelson Semedo in in Doherty's position. He doesn't produce the goods um, going forward. He's a good player between the boxes, but in terms of goals and assists. And then we haven't really found a goal score replacement for Jota and then Raul obviously had that terrible injury and he's not really come back the same player in terms of being like a penalty area predator that he, he was before his goal he's still doing good things uh, but in a, in a different way um, so I think it's just a combination of things and then we haven't had the players come in to, to fill that void really um, I think Bruno Lodge wanted to come and play with the back four and play with an extra attacking player but the problem is, I think he found when, we, when we've gone to a back four, we've just looked so vulnerable defensively that he, he can't do it. And I think the, a big problem is the midfield because we've got two good players in Ruben Neves and Jean Martinho, but they're very static players. And I think if you want to play four at the back, you know, you need more mobility and legs in the midfield. You need people who can get up and down a bit more. And they're, they're quite static players. So I think we need a player there. I think that's been part of the, the problem. I think Large has been stuck with this three-at-the-back system that he's inherited from Nuno. And, and the players have really well drilled in it. I think he's just leaning on that until he can probably get, you know, get the players he wants in to make it his team and, and develop us into a, you know, a better attacking unit. Because when he was at Benfica, obviously Portuguese League, that's a completely different thing. But you know, they were scoring a lot of goals. You know, they were one of the best scoring records in Portuguese League history when he was manager there. Um, but it, but he had the players there, you know, to to do that. So hopefully in January and and definitely next summer, assuming we're still in the Premier League, which we should be from our current position, we we start to see more of what Bruno Large's walls are about. Um, and I'm excited by that because I, I everything I've seen of him so far, I know he's not high profile, and you know, 
not getting many headlines, but I, I think he's shown that he's a very good coach and I think he's got a lot to offer to the Premier League. Gotcha. Uh, we'll move to Jake now talking about Newcastle. Uh, hey, you won your first match of the season. That's pretty neat. Obviously, four points now in your last two matches, which is a much better clip than what was going on before that. You've been pretty pessimistic the past few times that we've had you on the show. And I was just wondering if kind of the tenor of things at, at Newcastle has changed a bit now with, with uh, back-to-back results. Difficult one. I, I definitely feel like there's a lot of optimism around the club, um, I think. You know, the celebrations at full time yesterday were great. You could see everybody sort of behind the same, you know, behind the same message. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. That hasn't, you know, from the, the squad to the owners to the to the fans um, and, and the manager all pulling in the same direction. That hasn't happened in Newcastle for, you know, over a decade. I still think we're in a very tough position. Uh, our games in December aren't helpful. Um, you'd like, sort of like a... A couple of uh, you know easier home games in that run, but I guess we've just had three quote unquote easier home games. Uh, five points out of it is fine, but you've probably been hoping for a couple more um, than that. Uh, you know, obviously the the red card against Norwich was a bit disappointing. Uh, we should have beaten Brentford on the day we we had you know the better chances. We just didn't quite make it happen, and we had a couple of individual mistakes from the back. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. It, it, you know, the first one of the season, that could go one or two ways. You could see us really push on now, even with the tough fixtures. Like, I look at that game next week, Leicester away. I, you know, it doesn't quite fill me with as much dread as it would have done at the start of the season. I think Leicester are in bad form at the moment. I think that they've got a Europa League game on Thursday, Napoli away. You know, they, they're not going to be able to rest everybody for that. So maybe we'll be, maybe it'll be a, a good game for us to, to go and, sort of attack it and get three points out because they don't look very good at the back. They've got a problem with set pieces at the moment defending them. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, a game we should really go and target to try and win. And then if you, you know, make it two wins in a row, then you really start to get momentum. But it's going to... I still think it's going to be tough to stay up. I think that the next few weeks might see us, you know, lose some ground again um, because of our fixtures. Um, and, yeah... It, I don't think there's a one. I don't think there's many bad teams in the Premier League this year. I think that, you know, you'd probably say Newcastle and Norwich have been two of the worst teams, but I've seen some signs from Norwich that they're getting a little bit better. I thought from the bits I saw of the Tottenham game today, Kevin, you might be a better place to say, but I thought Norwich created a lot of good chances. They seem to mm. dominate possession for quite a lot of it. So they, I think they might, they're showing some improvements. Obviously, Newcastle are showing some improvements. Um, and yeah, I'd. It's going to be tough down there, but it's obviously great to get the win, and hopefully they'll be able to push on now. Uh, and and the thing that does fill me with hope is you see the the great sort of team spirit and the and and sort of the determination of the players to get us out of this. You know they they got a little bit derided on social media for doing a, a lap of honour and then posting a a picture of them all in the dressing room afterwards. But I think those are things you quite like to see as a supporter because it shows that the players do care. And, you know, Burnley are, are a team that if you don't show full commitment against, you're not going to win the game. So there's definitely a fight in this dressing room. And Eddie Howe definitely has seemed to tap into something. We just need to... <laughs> one win's not going to be enough for us. We're going to need to do that a few more times. And the fact that, you know, it's taken us till December to win one game, we're going to have to go and beat a couple of the, the top top half teams. Um yeah, I think I was I was doing a little bit of looking into it before the Burnley game, and 
it's not going to take top four form to get us out of it. I think I, I worked out that top if we finish in the top 12 from now to the end of the season, we'd probably stay up. I think that that's the sort of, over the last few seasons, 30-ish points is what, from this point, you'd be one of the top 12 teams. So that's what we need to be aiming for. Obviously, got some tough games coming up, but I'm, I'm not as negative as I was a few weeks ago. You know, a win's definitely going to do that, but it does feel like we've had a little bit of a missed opportunity as well, having the Norwich and Brentford games before this and not winning either of them. Because um, you'd even say, you know, if we'd have lost 1-1-1, We'd probably, we'd probably be in a much, we would, we'd have one more point. So mm. I don't think draws are doing a lot for us. We've, we, I think we've, we've taken points from more than half of the games than we've played this year. So I think we've, we've won one, drawn seven, lost seven. So, you know, if we turn a couple of those draws into wins and a couple of those defeats into draws, you probably see us start to climb the table. And that's got to be the next task. But, you know, it's, we're not losing lots and lots of games we're just not winning any until this weekend so that's, that's got to be the next task yeah and i think maybe the upside of having such a uh, difficult looking fixture list over the holiday period is that if you get much out of it at all you'll be in a pretty good standing because you'd assume a lot of the teams that'll be down there will lose to those teams when they have the opportunity to face them the other thing i wanted to bring up was jamal lewis who seems to be playing pretty well now that he's in there obviously he was uh not preferred <laughs> with Matt Ritchie kind of taking his spot there under Steve Bruce. So I was just curious uh, your thoughts mm-hmm. on his reintegration into the team and the impact he can have here the rest of the season. Yeah, he's been good the last couple of games. Um, he obviously, he, Eddie Howe stuck with Matt Ritchie for a little bit, then he got suspended and Lewis has come in the last week and he's played really well. He's really good against Norwich. Um, and he's really good again yesterday. He's, he's just, he's, he is just a left back, whereas Matt Ritchie isn't. So like, I don't understand why we were playing Matt Ritchie there for so long. He was he was he was at fault for a, a lot of goals, and and it just it was confusing why we were not playing a left back there, which we've now done. That Lewis lost in his first year, his confidence took quite a lot of quite a lot of hits. He wasn't used to playing in a team that was just so defensive, um, and I think that yeah, he just lost a lot of confidence. He had to come out of the team because he, he wasn't playing well but he looks like he's he's got a a renewed confidence I think he's been playing quite well for Northern Ireland in the games he's been playing on international duty which has obviously given him a little bit of confidence a new manager would have given him a a fresh start at the club as well so yeah I think he's one that we're going to see a lot more of but he's not the only one that's benefited from the change I think John Joe Shelby looks like a player transformed it's quite often happens when we get a new manager he does really well for a couple of months and then he'll do something silly so hopefully (laughs) <laughs> that that something silly doesn't happen, but I'm sure it will be. He looks like a, a player transformed. Joe Ellington as well has been exceptional the last few weeks. Um, he was against Norwich. He was like a one-man wrecking ball in the middle of the park. It was quite quite something to see. So there's obviously talent in the squad, um, even if we do have some quite big weaknesses. Uh, and Eddie Howe is getting a lot more out of these players than, than Steve Bruce ever was. And it just makes us look back and think that... <laughs> It, it was so obvious that Steve Bruce wasn't the man to coach these players, and yet the Newcastle fans were getting criticised for for not giving him a chance. But we can see the difference that has been made already, um, and hopefully the improvements will keep coming. But yeah, Jamal Lewis is definitely one of the the biggest improvements out of any of the players so far. Gotcha. Uh, we'll come to you now, Josh, to talk a little bit about Manchester United. We've already talked a little bit about the upcoming fixtures and the fact that, you know, that battle for fourth is is going to be quite the tight one. But I kind of wanted to talk to you about not just Regnick's hire in general, but what his future could be. Because obviously he's come in under this interim tag 
not obviously the first manager in recent years to come in under the interim tag. Do you think, like with Ole, that there's a scenario in which Ragnick either gets you top four, gets you pretty deep in the Champions League, and he gets extended? Or do you think the full intention is for him to shift into more of like a front office role and be part of the hiring group for whoever the next manager would be permanently? Yeah, I, th- I think I think the intent is for him to just steer us until the end of the season and and hopefully set the groundwork for whoever comes in next. And then he moves into this consultancy role. Now, you know, obviously that's not been fully defined, but it's it's about shaping how United as a football club structures itself, itself and moves forward and becomes a bit more modern. Um, and, and actually, it's it's just really refreshing to have someone with so much footballing knowledge in in the club, right? So if you look at the hierarchy, you know, we we all know Ed Woodward's name, but he's not a footballing person, so we shouldn't really know his name. You know, he was someone who craved that fame and that 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 sort of came with his job, but he really should never have been that sort of public right he should have just been cracking on with his job and and letting people who are experts in their roles get on with things so he should have brought someone in to help him out with the footballing side of things he could still have been the main decision maker but if he has a good solid advisor that would have been helpful now you've got this Murtaugh Giza again somebody who's not um, a football person by background although by all accounts apparently he's been doing a lot of traveling around Europe, meeting with coaches uh, over the last five, six years and learning about the game. <clears throat> and during those travels has met with Ralph Ragnick, and Ragnick in, the, in the past um, and respects his knowledge and his understanding of the game. So it, this is what I've read about him uh, as in Murtaugh. So maybe he, there's a different approach, a different strategy going forward. And that's where uh, Ralph can come in and and shape what that looks like in terms of that wider strategy, long-term planning at the club, rather than just exactly what's on the pitch. Now, getting back to your question, there's still always that um, doubt in the back of my mind about you know that the ownership is just an absolute disgrace, absolutely no idea about football, and are clearly just there to to get as much money out of the club as possible. Um, and if he was to do something, I can see them making rash decisions. Like I don't think finishing in the top four and going deep in the Champions League is would be enough to kind of just go right hand him the job. I think I hope lessons have been learned. I think if he was to maybe I don't know pull a rabbit out of the hat, win the Champions League and win the FA Cup, and and we really put some kind of run together towards the end of the season, then he may that may be the way we go. But it's highly unlikely. Um, he's also someone who's pretty good at stepping out of the way when he knows that he has more to do. Again, this is what I've read about him rather than I actually have this knowledge about him. So I've read that you know, in the past at, at places uh, where he's been at, I think, Salzburg, Red Bull, Harvey Salzburg, and then Leipzig, different places where he's kind of taken them on in for short short periods and then sort of stepped out of the way at the right time and then he, he's recently been in more director uh, of football type positions where he can think about that long-term future of the club and that's part of the reason why he joined he, don't, he wouldn't have joined uh, i don't think for a just a six-month chill right that's what he said exactly about chelsea 
last year where they offered him that sort of interim position. And he said, I don't want to do that unless there's more of a long-term piece to it, which they didn't offer. So at United, they have done. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to more of this, a modern structure at the club. I'm looking forward to like Darren Fletcher learning from him because Fletcher is in this sort of technical director type role. Um, hopefully the coaches can learn from him as well. Uh, and then we as a club can sort of become a bit more modern in the structure. So that's what I anticipate. And then we bring someone in for the long term. And it sounds like Pochettino is currently that guy in the minds of the, the or certainly from what we've read in the press. Um, and, and broadly speaking, he would fit in with the kind of Ralph Rangnick type of approach to football. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I think uh, there's every chance he will, he could become permanent if he does an exceptional job. I think the intent is for him to be, go into this consultancy role and help shape the future of the club. Yeah, and if he is interested in the long-term uh, future of the club, maybe he realizes that he might not be the guy uh, super long-term now. But a very interesting situation of kind of staying part of the structure even after potentially stepping down as coach. Um, my other question I wanted to ask you was about the attacking front. Obviously, we mentioned at the top of the show, first match. So they're not asking you to know everything. But there's been a lot of debate about how to get all of your best attacking players into the side at once. Do, do you have an idea of how Ragnik would like to do it? Or, or maybe just an idea of how you think you get the best out of the talent you have up front? I think our problem is is um, is not really the is not at the front. It's actually in the middle of the park. We've got you've got McTominay and Fred. They're kind of two players that are, they do the job of what you'd hope one player would do. Like if you think about like the best kind of central midfielders in the world, like if you took Angolo Kante, right? He's basically those two players in one. But we've got to kind of cover because we just don't have that quality in midfield. So totally get it. What, we used to play Winks and Sissoko. Yeah. So we we we've got um, so our issue is that right. So but what he did, what we saw today was he kind of narrowed that gap. We played higher up so that we're pressing higher and more into their the opposition half and the fullbacks are wider. And he played more of a 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. So like Jadon Sancho and Bruno Fernandes in like these two number 10 roles floating around and Rashford and Ronaldo up top. Um, so it was it's obviously his first game. So I'm, I, don't, I don't know. That, that's not necessarily what he's going to do every match, but he, he wanted to... His sort of justification was he wanted to, didn't want to change the lineup too much. I don't think he changed it at all, actually, from the one that started and won against Arsenal. Um, and he also thought, actually, I wanted to give more freedom to, to Sancho and he wanted more support for Ronaldo. So the 4-2-2 was born. And you've got Diogo Dalo and, and Tales as the fullbacks providing width and, and whatever. So actually, we played quite high up. And I think that's what he wants to do. He wants us to be more proactive in our play and have that control so I'm looking forward to that side of things in terms of how we get the best out, I mean a lot has been said about Cristiano Ronaldo and, and what he contributes I mean ultimately the man's scoring goals right he's got two against Arsenal he didn't, didn't score today but um had a couple of good good um efforts but um the the man's bagging in goals at 36 years old he's um putting a shift in for the team I mean ultimately if you're a manager and you're given Cristiano Ronaldo, you know you're going to get goals. Your, your question is, how do you make sure the rest of the side also continues to contribute so it doesn't become like just he's the only one in the focal point? So 
that's going to be a t- that's going to be the tough one. I think for me, you know, you've got great options with Rashford, Sancho, Greenwood around him, Cavani off the bench. And we saw Lingard what he did at West Ham last at the second half of last season. Um, and Anthony Martial does have it in his locker, right? We've seen that in the past. So there's lots of great options for Rangnick. But one, what was interesting is today at nil nil, he brought on Anthony Alanga, who's who's a, a youngster, um, so he's playing in the under 23s. He's probably uh, he's pretty much outgrown that. He's a, he's, he's consistently the best player on the pitch at, at that level. Um, and he wasn't just brought on for the last five minutes of a match. We're winning three nil, right? He's brought on at nil-nil in, in an attacking role. He came on for Rashford. So you can see already there's a, there's a level of trust there that he's put on this young player that, that maybe he saw and clearly cl- clearly saw something in training and has heard from the rest of the coaching staff. So that was kind of, I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't score a winner or anything like that. He did okay. But it's kind of just that principle that he's brought in around, okay, I trust this player. We're nil-nil. We need someone with his qualities. Let's get him on the pitch. I thought that was quite interesting. It was, it just showed a lot of trust and um, and and you know he he's willing to take risks and and show a bit of face in in some of these younger players as well. So that was kind of good to see. So I'm looking forward to some of that that sort of come through perhaps in other areas as well. So yeah, no, we'll see how it goes. I think there's a lot of talent in that squad, which clearly they weren't performing to that level that they should be. Um, and 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 you're I'm hoping that a man of this guy's experience and knowledge. He, he can bring something and get these guys playing uh, at top level again. I mean, last season, we finished second. Yeah, I know that Liverpool weren't at it and Chelsea weren't at it, but it's a pretty good achievement and hit the Europa League final. So, you know, we should have probably won that. It's not like the team, in terms of its talent and the ability within the squad, is is completely horrific. But just something happened this season. Like I said, Oli rightly sacked, and, and now Ralph's got this opportunity to try and pull it all, all together. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Gotcha. Well, good luck with that, but hopefully not too much luck since, as we all discussed at the top of the show, really only one spot left there for, for Champions League <laughs> football. Or you can win the whole thing, win the Champions League, and then we'll just take fourth, since that still works, uh, unlike the year that Tottenham did it and Chelsea won and got knocked out. Um, definitely not still bitter about that almost a decade later. Um, <laughs> we'll wrap up with match previews, where we'll just go through quickly and talk about what you guys think of your upcoming matches. Uh, not going to be an easy one for you, Thomas, as you mentioned, having to... Head, head away to face Manchester City. Do, do you think there's a chance you could get one of those upsets that Jake was talking about earlier? Um, <clears throat> no, not really. Um, <laughs> but I think I, th- I think I would say that about any team that was playing Man City other than, uh, you know, the top two or three others around them. So um, statistically, the odds are that they're going to they're gonna win and they're going to win comfortably. Um yeah, so yeah, I think we'll lose. But um, as I said, against uh, you know the, the the top two decimate are decimating everyone's goal differences. If you look at the goal differences in the league, it's absolutely farcical. You know, you've got the top three who are like plus twenty, thirty, whatever. Everyone else is close to zero, minus one, plus one. It, it's crazy, and that's because everyone's reasonably competitive with one another, and they're getting absolutely blasted by the top three. So. It's almost worth a point if you lose by one goal to the as ridiculous as it sounds, because you know you avoid your goal difference getting absolutely you know done in. So, but we, we've avoided massive defeats so far. But I do fear one might come um, just because 
we're, we're so lacking in attack that a team like City could really press up on us and, and make us make us suffer. And I think they probably will. Um, I think we'll be relying on the pace of Troy Ray again on the break to get us off the pitch and then use that as a weapon to maybe make them play 10 yards further back. But yeah, we, we've, we've won at the Etihad before. Um, but, you know, that was, and we'll have to do the same again, which is defend with great resilience for 80% of the game and hope that maybe when they're a bit punch drunk towards the end, we, we can strike. Um, but but I don't see it. I, th- I think we'll lose by um, by a couple, but we're, we're in an OK position and we, we can we can swallow a defeat at this stage without it being too painful. Gotcha. And Jake, you've already mentioned you're heading to Leicester and think you might be able to get points there with their kind of struggles recently. Yeah, I think so. I think that things just don't seem right at Leicester. I think that Brendan Rodgers always does seem to have this shelf life at clubs where he does well for a, a couple of seasons and it things start to, to go awry. And I think we're seeing that at the moment. Uh, they just don't look as good. I thought they were lucky to, to get anything out of the Southampton game of the weekend. And today, Villa would deserve of the three points. Uh, they're lacking at set pieces. They can't defend them. Um so yeah, we won there last year. I think we won four four one. I think it was or four two something like that. So we, we've got form and and we've got the type of players that will cause some problems. I think Wilson would have Soyuncu on toast, quite frankly, in his current form. And I think that Saint Maximilian is is always good against um, teams that give him space. And I think Leicester will. So I think it's quite a good matchup for us. And I think that we've got to put a run of wins together and, and the performance over the, the, the work rate of the last two weeks uh, has been really good. We just have been lacking a little bit of a performance and I think maybe we'll get that at Leicester. So yeah, I'm going to tip us for the win. I think that I think that we're going to see Brendan Rodgers leave Leicester in, in the not-so-distant future. So yeah, if the, the fact he's still in charge and they've got a massive Europa League game against Napoli, which should take quite a lot out of them, I think that we'll get, we'll get the win. Uh, so yeah, I think I might go 2-1 Newcastle. That would certainly be a big result with three in a row there for Newcastle. And then uh, we'll finish up with you, Josh. You're talking about Manchester United. You have young boys in the Champions League. What do you think you'll see in terms of the strength of the squad that you put out and, and the rest of it? Um, so we've actually qualified top. So it's an opportunity, like, you know, I think for a bit of rotation, rest up and, and prepare for a, for this this sort of Christmas period. So I don't anticipate like a strong, our strongest side on Wednesday. But then it's not like the, I mean, you know, no games are easy in the Premier League. We've proven that this season anyway, but we have uh, Norwich away, you know, they're bottom of the table. You'd expect us to go out, go there with a strong side to pick up that win. And then, you know, Brentford, Brighton, Newcastle, Burnley, Wolves. It's a, you know, Wolves are always tricky for us, but they're not. Newcastle, they're looking pretty decent at the moment. But I think they're winnable matches. I'm not saying I'm expecting us to go out and win 10 in a row, but they are all winnable. And, and the key will be how we manage the squad. And, and with the young boys and, um, on Wednesday, we're already top of the table. So I don't anticipate us going out with, the, our, with every, you know, all the big guns playing. And I think we'll, we, we've got a good chance of picking, of sort of, getting breaking into that top four and and um, hopefully cementing that position so um yeah we've looks like we're build, building up a bit of momentum and we've got the opportunity to do that right the way through into february actually from the fixture list so so yeah here's hoping obviously <laughs> for me as a united fan that's great uh, maybe not great news for everyone else 
Gotcha. Uh, we'll wrap things up there. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, great to be on again, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, there'll be obviously lots of lots of stuff happening on Wolves blog over the Christmas period because we have previews and match reports for every game and congested fixtures mean lots of articles, so lots of discussion around Wolves. So if you're one of the the teams playing Wolves, then uh, surf on. If you're a Wolves fan, obviously great to have another one on board. So yeah, it'd be great to uh, to speak to you on there, or you can uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Wolves blog on Facebook.com forward slash Wolves blog. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's and anything I do, I'll post there. Uh... Cool. Cheers, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, appreciate being on. And if you need, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at uh, J underscore MEFC. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter and by searching EPL Roundtable everywhere else, which you seem to have successfully done if you're hearing this past the hour mark of this episode. Uh, But seriously, thanks so much to these guys for coming on. And folks at home, we have to keep listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.